Hello, everyone, and welcome to another ISACA podcast. My name is Lisa Cook, and I'm the IT GRC Professional Practices Principal. We're here today with Eric Peck, who's an IT risk manager in the financial services industry. Hi, Eric, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me on. Great. Eric, let's start by, I'm going to ask you to just tell us a little bit about yourself. So uh, my name is Eric Peck. I uh, currently live in Northern Kentucky, suburb of Cincinnati. I've been in the industry for about 12 years now, um, had a variety of different roles in banks. Uh, I started out my career as a bank regulator uh, with the federal government. And so I've been just working in bank risk management and compliance since then. Um, I've worked in a variety of areas, fraud, internal audit, uh, anti-money laundering, but I've spent the last you know six years or so in IT uh, risk management because that's what really interests me. Um, so I work on a lot of issues uh, related to fixing audit findings, related to IT, regulatory findings, identity and access management, and just overall risk management of, uh, of IT you know, in a bank environment. All right. Excellent. That's an excellent, excellent background and perfect for the topic that we're about to tackle. And thank you so much for your article, which I hope our listeners will go out and uh, take a look at. Um, but really, our topic today is IT issue management. And I'd like to start off by asking you, why is that such a critical aspect of risk management? Well, I think it's a it's an important aspect because, you know, issues uh, and findings can come from a variety of sources. You know, in banking, a lot of times they come from bank regulators and those have to be fixed. They're very important, high priority, but they can also come from internal audit, from first line testing or be self-identified. And, you know, they all represent um, risk to the bank. And, you know, in the banking industry, um, one of the most important factors is how you manage risk. And obviously that can be a credit risk, the risk of default, the risk of interest rates going up, you know, things like that. Um, but one of the crucial areas is uh, risk from, you know, IT, from software and all of the regulations around that and then just the risk of financial loss and things like that. So um, I think that IT issue management is a good area for organizations to focus on because uh, I think there's a lot of low hanging fruit uh, that hasn't been picked yet as far as um, identifying the risk, identifying what's happening and then using that information about issues to kind of prioritize funding decisions because it seems like you know every every organization's management is very focused on what projects are we going to fund we have limited resources resources are scarce how do we allocate it and i think understanding the risk from open issues looking at a company's open issues and uh and trends there can really help management make those decisions about what to fund and I think the other aspect is even issues and audit findings that don't involve IT always have an IT component because IT is active in helping to fix them. Uh, so I think you know the the management of the relationship between IT and business units is very important and something that all you know IT professionals have to work on. You know, one side of it is people in IT have to really understand the business and what they need, and then on the other side, obviously, people in business need to understand what they're asking people in the IT organization to do. And then there has to be some kind of management structure where that kind of um, cooperation is prioritized. Well, oh, excellent, excellent. Well, you know, you talked about the various areas or sources where issues and exceptions can arise 
uh, and brings to mind a question about prioritization. How can organizations effectively prioritize and manage these different types of issues? There's rapidly evolving technical in innovation, uh, the regulatory environment. You talked about your regulatory background. How can we prioritize? Well, yeah, I think regulation is so important because, you know, if, if an issue or a finding comes from regulators, it has to be prioritized and worked on. But, you know, deeper than that is all of the, the root causes um, that cause an issue because for, for regulators to find an issue, there has to be some other uh, things going on in the background, either in the economy, the business environment, uh, within the organization. So, you know, I think prioritizing what's, you know, risky, what's important is huge. And I think that's where people who have ISACA certifications can add value because, uh, you know, like I have my CISA and a, a lot of the the studying for the CISA is how to think like an auditor, how to think like a, like a manager. And I think that, um, you know, having some IT knowledge and also having knowledge of the business and auditing principles all together is really important. And I think a lot of times it is subjective. Uh, it's great to get as much metrics and data as we can, but I think you have to have people with just experience in the industry, you know, working together in groups, um, you know, depending on what expertise they have. And a lot of times making those subjective determinations of, of you know, what is the risk and, and what's most important to fix. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we have people at varying parts of their career. Um, and this question may seem basic, but we could probably all learn from this. How should issues be documented? What are some of the key areas uh, that should be focused on? So I think, you know, I, in the article, I kind of made a list of, of what should be documented for the issue. And I think everybody agrees that, you know, the more documentation we have, the better, because you don't know who's going to be reviewing this issue, who's going to be looking at it. Could be an auditor, regulator. They may not have a lot of background on the situation. It could be a technical person, non-technical. Um, so I think, you know, you describe the issue. The most important thing is the root cause. And I think, again, that's that subjective thing. You just need time, experience, understanding of the business and how it works. Um, you know, the, the severity of it, how bad is it? What is the impact? What, you know, what, what bad things could happen as a result of this issue and how likely it is um, that those things could happen? And then the other part is, how are we going to fix this? You know, what's the management plan uh, or action plan to resolve this issue and fix it? And then, of course, um, some other things that I mentioned in the article that may be valuable for people, depending on the context, is you know what company policy was violated. That's something that's so important to just know um, what company policies can speak to an issue. Why did we think this is important? Is there a law that was broken? Is it a company policy? Um, and then within that, you can say um, you know what who's affected, what business groups are affected what software is affected. Just the more information you can put in, the better, because then someone else can come back later and say, well, how many issues do we have that affect mortgage lending? Or how many, you know, what are the issues affecting, you know, our Salesforce software? And then if you, if you put all that information into your um, issue management system, then those reports and that information can be pulled later. And, and maybe we don't even know now what information we'll need in the future, but the more um, the more that's in there, the better. And then the other thing I think you should have is um, just a place to make comments and progress updates. Someone might come in and say, auditors looked at this at this date. 
Uh, maybe we solved part of the issue. Maybe circumstances changed. We decided actually we're going to develop a new action plan. And I think just the more the more comments, and this could be from the owner of the issue, auditors, you know, risk and compliance people, uh, just the ability to leave little comments. You know, in two years, when someone's looking at this and they want to understand what happened, the more information you can give, I think, the better. Absolutely, and. You know, another important element I would think is risk rating the issues. Can you talk to us about how important that is? We just talked about prioritization, so I'm sure that plays a role. Yeah, I think this is, you know, where, again, where that ISACA training can come in handy, you know, that that IT auditing experience and training, um, really looking at things in terms of, you know, there are a lot of people out there who have technical knowledge to understand what's wrong. Uh, but you have to combine that with, uh, you know, what is the actual financial loss? And then in banking, you have regulatory penalties or reputation. You know, if you hear, you know, a certain bank has lost 100 million customer records, um, you know, that can damage the reputation of the bank. Uh, and then, you know, back to the the obvious, is, which is financial loss um, and regulatory penalties, So, which can also be financial sometimes. So I think, um, you know, when you're risk grading it, there's two factors, uh, which everybody studying for their certs will know, likelihood, how likely is this to happen, and then the impact. And I think likelihood is more difficult because for a lot of issues, this has never happened before. Um, you know, It's difficult to quantify, and then typically we use a low, medium, high uh, risk rating scale. Sometimes those are you know, defined in a policy where you know, low is a certain amount of money lost, medium is another amount. Sometimes it's subjective uh, based on, you know, again, the experience of the auditor or who is ever opening the issue. Um, and then, you know, the impact. So the likelihood, how likely the impact, what, what bad thing will happen if this, you know, risk is realized. And I think that's, again, another way where IT people and business line people, uh, you know, if, at least if, if in your organization, those are separated. Um, people working on the technical solution to the problem and then the people working day to day with the problem have to meet and see eye to eye on you know what is the what is the real risk here and then from that how important it is to fix it because um, you know eventually someone's going to need to pay for this you know to fix the issue and what we're willing to pay for is always a big factor in do we fix the issue you know can we can we can we do certain things to lower the risk from high to low, and then we accept the remaining risk. Um, and then you also, you know, you need buy-in from whoever's spending the money, and then also for whomever is managing the IT resources. Um, you know, they they need some kind of buy-in to to make sure that they understand that this is an important thing to fix. Excellent. You know, it's important. It's an important point that you raise about those budgetary considerations and where we're going to put those dollars. Uh, you also mentioned accepting the risk, so. Uh, that brings me to ask, uh, what are those scenarios by which an organization may choose to accept the risk associated with an IT issue? Give yeah, I, examples, for example. Sure. I've been a part of a couple organizations that really were working hard on, you know, reducing the amount of time it takes to close IT issues. I think people in senior management sometimes look at metrics and say, well, we, you know, our average issue has been open for two years, you know, let's get that down to a year, you know, or let's get the average down to a certain amount. 
And I think that's when, you know, when organizations are really getting serious about fixing their outstanding IT issues, whether it's tech debt or, you know, cybersecurity or whatever it is, that's the opportunity to go out and accept some risk. But the problem is, I think there might be a mismatch in some cases between, I can, I know in the in banks, the board of directors has to state publicly, or at least to regulators, you know, how much IT risk are we willing to accept or how much operational risk are we willing to accept? And there aren't a lot of organizations out there that say we're fine with a high, you know, a high risk. We, we want to take as much cyber risk as possible. You know, they'll say low, but then in practice, maybe we've got a lot of IT issues that are sitting out there for years. They get renewed every year. Then if we become serious about shortening the time frame on those, suddenly we have to either spend the money to fix them or we have to accept the risk. And when I look at this, I think there's two there's two different uh, situations. The first is that is the easiest, which is there's an issue. We had to open a finding because we violated a policy. There's some kind of procedure that forced us to open this finding, but there's no real risk there. We can't identify any financial loss, reputational damage uh, if this risk is recognized. So we're just going to acknowledge this. It, it maybe we'll track it and it's out there, but it doesn't present any real risk to us. And then the other one is, okay, there is risk, um, but we've decided to just live with it. And of course, every organization has to live with a certain amount of risk that's accepted. And again, in the banking industry, it, the whole point of the industry is, is taking various types of risks and managing those well, You know, the risks that a customer will not pay back a loan, things like that. And on the IT side, it's just um, you know, like you kind of said in your question, a balancing act between the um, you know the financial aspect of how much money are we going to spend on IT and making sure that we spend that money on on the high risk stuff. So, I think you know one thing that the organizations can do is say you know we fixed we fixed part of the issue. There's you know there's a hundred percent of the risk here. We took these actions and we fixed most of it, and then we're just going to accept what's left. We were able to lower the risk from this situation from moderate to low, and we're going to accept the rest because fixing the rest would be difficult and doesn't give us much return on investment. Um, the other thing we can do, but I think the most important thing is if organizations have issues that have been out there for a long time, effectively those have already been accepted. If something's been around for years and we're not fixing it, but it may be time to you know officially say either we're going to pony up money to fix this and resources, or we're just going to officially accept it. I think that's a really difficult thing for organizations to do because it's a lot easier just to keep extending issues every year. But effectively, I think if you're if you're extending it, then you've already accepted that risk. Um, another couple examples I think I, I managed to bring up in the article was, uh, I think in IT issue management, a lot of times we have uh, software, it's end of life, and the support we're upgrading in six months. So we're just not going to worry about it until then. Um, something like that. And, um, you know, I think there are some issues that do resolve themselves after a period of time that can be accepted and maybe we revisit it later. But I think the biggest thing to do is just really focus on actually coming to grips with, you know, if you are accepting the risk, documenting why and making a management decision to do that, because just extending issues longer and longer. I think doesn't really help anybody in the long run. Right. And that, that ties back to IT issue management. Um, and like you said, if it continues to repeat and repeat, 
know, accept it, get the proper approvals, right? And and what are your thoughts? Like compensating control should be in place as well, right? Even though the risk has been accepted. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, in any in any issue, you try to identify all the risk, identify any compensated controls that are there. Sometimes there are changes we can make, some kind of manual process to implement, reduce the risk. Um, sometimes, you know, we can fix part of the issue. And I think the other aspect with accepting the risk is there are a lot of issues that, you know, maybe you have a phased action plan where you say, okay, in the next three months, we're going to implement these actions. This is going to fix, you know, two of the six problems we identified here. Then, you know, six months after that, we're going to fix these other two bullet points. And then finally, there's these two things that we're going to accept the risk. I think that's a great way to look at it because, you know, the 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 more you can do, I think in real life in organizations all the time, we're looking for ways to get the best bang for the buck. What can we do with 20% of the effort or 20% of the money to fix 80% of the risk? And I think a lot of times if you could do that, then you can accept the risk that's left because you've identified and fixed the most important things. Um, and that's, you know, that's going to be part of your process is just accurately risk rating those, identifying them, and then maybe coming back from time to time every year or something and re-reviewing those accepted issues. Cause you know, with the accepted, there is still risk there and hopefully we're aggregating it and we're understanding the root cause. And, you know, if we have a lot of accepted risks with the same root cause, then maybe we need to take a closer look at that. Um, but it, it's something that management has just made the decision not to prioritize. And I think you know, in any organization, you can't do everything that you want to do, but you really want to try to take a risk-based approach and identify the correct things to to be spending your time on. Yeah. And you talked about that 80-20 rule. So how does addressing maybe high-risk issues with the low-hanging fruit, how can that incentivize management to take action? Well, I think, you know, high-risk issues you know, a lot of times are things that we just have to fix. Senior managers are are um, aware of them and care about them. So I think, you know, kind of like you said in your question, if we can break those down either into separate parts and fix those, or maybe separate timeframes, we can fix this today, we can fix that tomorrow, then that's a great way to look at your issue because, you know, if you can, anything you can do to reduce the risk reduces the risk. Whether or not the client finding is closed, is secondarily important. The most important thing is that you really look out for those things that could cause a, a big financial or other loss and fix them. And I think in in real life and practice, it is like that. I think there's simple things that you can do to reduce a lot of the risk. And then there's big problems that are difficult to fix that may um, be accepted or, or not even represent as much risk if you fixed all the, the easy stuff. Right, right. Uh, and with all the issues that would uh, come and go and constantly evolve. Are there tools that are out there? Um, and where are they on the continuum of, you know, maybe low end to maybe high, highly advanced? Um, what kinds of things can our issue management tools offer us? I think there's a lot of, a lot of ways to manage issues. I think the simplest would be, you know, we've got a, we've got an Excel spreadsheet and we're tracking some issues in there. And, you know, Excel does kind of power all businesses in one way or another. Um, and I work with a lot of Excel spreadsheets, but uh, I've, I've used a couple tools. I think the biggest ones that I'm familiar with are SharePoint and Archer. And obviously SharePoint lets you do 
forms and it lets you, you know, have a database connected to it. And then uh, Archer is the one I'm more familiar with, which is, you know, a, a case kind of like a case management system, very customizable um, for those. And then, you know, there might be uh, aspects of the process uh, that are uh, manual. I've worked in organizations where we had to get people to sign a form. I've also seen, you know, you can create an approval in uh, something like ServiceNow or something like Archer. And I think that's better because it's it tracks, you know, the approval. If I click, you know, approve, then it's logged forever um, rather than trying to get people to sign a form or, you know, send emails saying, I approve this. I think it's better to use an issue management system if you can. Um, and then the, the issue management tool obviously gives you the ability to kind of aggregate those issues. You know, people love to pull reports and say, last year we had a hundred issues and now we have 150, you know, why is that, you know, for reporting prioritization, you want to pull kind of like I mentioned earlier, like a, a given manager, you know, how many issues do they have or you know, a given source, you know, how many audit issues did we have last year? Why are they going up? Why are they going down? Are we making progress and fixing them? And then kind of a, the, you know, we have issues that are overdue. They've been out there for years. Are we getting those numbers down? If you have an issue management system in place, it might be expensive, but it does give you the ability to do that. And I think for large organizations, it's just scalable. I've only worked in large organizations. So I've always worked in kind of issue management systems that could uh, handle hundreds or thousands of of issues, action plans, you know, comments and things like that, and where you could run reports. And I think that's pretty valuable because again, like the the other aspect of it is, you know, you've got so many people using these systems, some of whom are IT technical experts and some of whom are people in the business. And you can send them, you know, a video of a training and say, you know, take this training. It's one hour. Learn how to use Archer set up these tools, you know, maybe learn some programming and people aren't going to do that. They just, it's one more thing they have to do in their day. They want to do whatever they have to do and, and get it off their plate so that they can work on something else. So I think with, with a, with a software tool, the, the most helpful thing about it might be that, uh, you can kind of give users a way to do it correctly. You can set it up and say, well, this is a form and here's the information we need. Here's a little bubble you can click on. And it says, you know, uh, what this means, you know, if it says what policy was violated, here's a link to different policies. You know, if it asks you what software is affected, it can give you a list of applications and you can click on the one that you need. And, you know, it can say, you know, if you try to submit it and you haven't filled in an action plan, it can say, oops, you know, put in an action plan. This is what should be in there. And you can really just, if you, if you design the system well enough, you can take someone who understands what's going on with their issue, but may not understand your issue management system and make it easy for them. And they just fill it out. And I think the easier, less friction you can have with any kind of risk management or compliance process, the better it's going to go because everyone looks at risk management and compliance as an extra thing that they have to do. They want to be helpful, but you have to make it, I think, easy on them. So the, I think the best thing with, with a good issue management process is just making it intuitive so that people can use it and it just works. And then they take 15 minutes and they fill out their issue where they, you know, create their status update. And, uh, you know, and then the other aspect is if it's customizable, uh, kind of a similar concept is if you have one group of people who's managing your issue management policy or your issue management standard, it's easy to match the different modules in an issue management system to that policy or standard. 
And then if that policy or standard changes, you can map those changes onto the issue management system. And that way, when auditors or regulators come back later and they say, were you following your, you know, your policy or your standard? You can say yes, because the, the issue management system makes everyone follow the standard exactly. And then it just, you know, makes the whole process um, work a lot more smoothly. Yeah, that sounds like a powerful, you know, reason to kind of, if possible, step away from that spreadsheet uh, format. Um, particularly powerful is the ability to make those linkages, like you said, to a policy or to regulations, and particularly in a in highly regulated uh, environments uh, like banking, uh, that would be really important. You've got the OCC, you've got the Monetary Authority of Singapore, you know, so uh, it, it's quite powerful to be able to make those linkages, and then you it, you can have those ties into some other avenues as well. Good stuff. Um, now we talked about you know, technical versus business and that, and that balance just a little bit. I heard you allude to it a little bit. Uh, how can we bridge the gap between technical knowledge and business knowledge? It's going to be important for root cause analysis. We got to understand the business. We got to understand the technology. Any thoughts on that? I've always thought that it's good to have a group of people who have, you know, IT knowledge and business knowledge. I think IT auditors can bridge that gap a little bit because there are people who, you know, they their job is to understand the IT issue and then, you know, link it to the business. I personally come from more of a, not necessarily a business background, but I come from like a risk management and compliance background. And then I've, I've used certifications like ISACA and, and others to try to get that knowledge, that technical knowledge that I think is necessary. And then on the other side, there's people who have great technical knowledge and maybe they get a certification to come in and learn that auditing or, or that business acumen to understand that. So I think, I think you really just have to have a group of people, um, you know, who are trained and who have maybe experience in the business, experience in IT, maybe experience in IT auditing, you know, for that skill and documenting and identifying issues and creating the correct documentation and making sure that everything can stand up to scrutiny later. Uh, and those people have to be maybe like a bridge in the process. You know, if you give this person uh, it, you know, a, a responsibility for an open issue or for fixing a problem, they can bring together the necessary people who are, you know, in the business line or, you know, whatever organization you're in, um, and the IT people and try to, um, bridge that gap by, by the knowledge and understanding. And I think the other two things are number one, you have to create a culture where people trust each other. They don't think they're being thrown under the bus. They, they want to help. I, I don't, I don't, you know, I think, I, I definitely, you know, have seen that culture in action and it's really good to see that because, um, that's really, you know, risk management and compliance. It's all about relationships, uh, trusting people, making the argument to people, why is this important? Why do we need to fix this? How is it beneficial? And then, um, you know, kind of acting constructively, not like a gotcha thing, but just, you know, identifying issues and, and problems and trying to fix them together. I think having a good culture is necessary for that. And then the other thing is uh, making sure that senior managers in the organization communicate that this is important. I think if, um, you know, again, if you, if you really want to drive change, managers at the highest levels have to make it a priority. And if it's not a priority, people will focus on other things that are a bigger priority for them. So I think driving that culture of compliance and risk management is, is probably the most important aspect. That's great, great, great information. I think it's a great place for us to 
to stop here. Um, that culture and that senior management buy-in, uh, people should be comfortable raising those issues. Thank you so much, Eric. I really appreciate you taking the time with us. And I want to encourage all of the viewers and listeners to go out and uh, take a look at Eric's uh, article on um, issue management. It's quite compelling. I just want to say I really appreciate you having me on and it was uh, great talking to you today. It's good talking to you as well. And that's all for today for another iCycle podcast. Thank you.